We are now going to chapter 6 of uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. It is the conclusion of his first part, making all of these observations, first part of the book. He observes things. We have these two voices, as we talked about last week, talking to us. In chapters 5 and 6, as he brings this section to a conclusion, uh, he's driving home the main point that meaning in life is found with God. We'll never find a meaningful life without Him. You can't live and discover true meaning without God. Before I have prayer, I work in a uh, secular health campus, a great group of folks. Uh, I have a lot of respect for them. But I see uh, a group of people, not all of them, but there are those who struggle in life because they're trying to figure out how it works. Um, and without God for help personally, uh, they are left to struggle, uh, to try to search uh, for things that can help their emptiness, their hurt. And these remedies that they find are all sh so very short-lived and they just don't work. And it's, uh, you see people who uh, they are enjoying things uh, and then something happens and then they don't know what to do and they get their hopes up. They think they found the remedy, if I can say that, and something that will help only to find that that doesn't work and they're down again. And it's, it's hard. Uh, that has become a way of life for people and they have to push through life. They're responsible. They want to take care of things, their loved ones, but life is just not meaningful to them and it's not satisfying and you can see it and it's difficult. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about and that's why Solomon is taking the time to be a voice, a voice uh, of life under the sun. And he's talking about what he sees, what he thinks, uh, these observations, how people feel, their conclusions about life when God has been dismissed it always ends up in despair and difficulty. And he knows that he's portraying life accurately. He knows exactly what life is like for people when they have dismissed God. And he wants people to see that for themselves. Uh, learn to be wise about life. That's what this book is, is trying to help people to discover. The other voice, there is a God who can make things beautiful and wonderful slow down, understand where the true treasures of life are. You have to start by putting God in his right place in our hearts. And it's, he's just building on that. And what I want to do is as we come to the end of this particular section of the book, I want to remind you looking on the screen that Solomon has been telling us that we are to enjoy what God is doing for us. He's with us, he's caring for us. He has these gifts. He's helping us to be able to care for a job, employment. Uh, there are good things that we can enjoy. He uses the word enjoy or enjoyment, a pleasure, goodness. Uh, he used for the first phrase last time, the joy of our heart. 
uh, he can take care, but we need to slow down instead of waiting to live sometime in the future to understand what God is doing for us right now. And what we have, even if it's little, it comes from God. And if there are questions about injustices, if there are questions about hurts in life, give God time. He will make things that are not clear. He will make them clear later. He will care for us through that. Keep your eye upon God. God will get you through those moments that are difficult too. But God has been, or Solomon has been telling us through this book, chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, God has gifts. God has rest. God has peace. He can make your life beautiful and meaningful right now. And again, the last section of chapter 5 where he says, uh, behold, in verse 18, look at this, not the man who has so much, but it ruins him. It's just hard on him. There's something else. That which I've seen is good and beautiful. And, and he talks about what he has seen, people enjoying their lives. And that's what we want to look at and see how he concludes this section, chapter 6. Let me have prayer, and then we will look at this together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you again for this book. It is really challenging us uh, as we hear these two voices in which our prayer today as we bring this section to a close that you would help us to understand what Solomon is saying and help us in our hearts to know how to find meaning and be so glad that it's not hard that you are the greatest por portion of life. And if we have you, uh, we'll be okay. That's why the psalmist says, Lord, you are the portion of mine inheritance. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Thank you for salvation that comes to all through Christ if they will just believe and put their hands in the Savior's hands, or life in the Savior's hands, and just Help us to understand where true treasures are really found. Help us now as we look at chapter 6 together, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for your patience. Let's move into this, and we will study it together. In the Jewish mind, God's greatest favors, His greatest blessings were in abundance, sometimes referred to as riches, wealth, and honor. You will see that phrase in verse 2, riches, wealth, and honor. And it refers not just to uh, the money you might have in your bank account. It would refer to other areas that provided wealth. Might be fields in Israel's day, maybe flocks, uh, maybe herds, uh, maybe land that they can use. Uh, but riches refers to what you would have in your, what we would call bank accounts, wealth, other areas of income or blessing. Uh, honor refers to reputation, how people look at you, your esteem, maybe a position. Uh, those things are referred to as God's wonderful favors. And you remember Abraham, the man that walked with God when he had nothing God gave him all of those things. and But primarily, Abraham was the man who walked with God. That's what was at the core of his life, not these things that you see in the screen. 
Second greatest blessing or favor that God could give to people was his family, her family. A large family was considered a special gift from God. Long life, many years to be able to enjoy your family and your life. That's where we see God's blessing displayed. In the Old Testament mindset, that's where you could see. You remember Job, who had all of those things. When he lost those things, it was confusing to him. Why would God give me these things and take them away? And yet we find out that Job's greatest asset, his greatest treasure was his God. And that's what we are to see in the book of Job when there are some questions about some of these things. But here we go, because we're going to be looking at man's greatest treasures in an Old Testament setting, God's greatest blessings, a man who has them, uh, sort of, okay? Notice in chapter 6, verse 1, there is an evil which I have seen under the sun. It is common among men. The last part of verse 2, he refers to this as being an evil disease. We saw that phrase last week of people who are, they have all these treasures and they're holding on to them and it makes them literally ill because they don't know how to care for all of it, how to keep it, how to guard it and protect it. Notice chapter 6, verse 1, there is an evil which I have seen under the sun. I've seen it a lot in one degree to another. There is a man to whom God has given riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing. He has everything that his soul could ever desire. Wow, now think about that. <laughs> uh, you were a person, just assume for a minute, that you have everything you could ever want. Anything you want to do, you can do it because you have it, the substance. You just have everything. There's no waking up in the morning, well, I wonder where this will come from. Oh, I wish I had this or that. Uh, you've got it all. Chapter 6 presents to us the man who has it all. This man has everything he could ever want or wish. He has riches, wealth, and honor. He also, in this Jewish setting, he has a flourishing family. Notice verse 3. If he begets a hundred children, now we know he's dealing with something hypothetical with that, don't we? And he lives many years. In fact, in verse 6, you have this man, he could... Even if he lives a thousand years twice over, so he has everything. He has everything. He has, his life is filled with material blessings. His family is large. Uh, he has many years to enjoy it. Can you imagine how you would feel if you had that kind of life? You had everything you could ever want, and every day you could do whatever you wanted. A large family, many years. That's the man he presents here. Okay. But things change, and you knew Solomon was going to change things a little bit, didn't you? Here's, here's the issue. If you had everything you could ever want but could not enjoy it, what good would it be? 
if you had everything you could ever want, and that's why he presents the man this way, everything you could ever want, but you couldn't enjoy it, what good would it be? Now, remember the book, Life Under the Sun. People who have dismissed God, when they look at life, when they think about life, when they try to advance in life, what's guiding them? If I could just get a little bit more, if I could get this or have that, then I'd have it made. That's not the case. If you could have everything, but you couldn't enjoy it, it wouldn't be worth anything. And so we have this man who has everything, but notice what it says in verse 2. A man to whom God has given riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing for his soul of all that he desires, yet God doesn't give him the ability to eat, or it means he doesn't have the ability to enjoy it. It ends up belonging to a stranger, someone else. Boy, that's an evil, that's a sickening thing. This man has had everything, but he's never enjoyed it. And now someone else has it. Notice the next verse. If he begets a hundred children, man who has everything, he has a large extended family, he lives many years, so that his days of his years are many, but his soul is not filled with good. He's never enjoyed any of it. He's never enjoyed any of it. And then the next phrase, and he also has no burial. Here's what it's talking about. First of all, here's a man who on the outside appearance, this man has everything. People who are standing on the outside looking at this man, they're thinking, man, what a, what a incredible life. Boy, I'd like to live in his shoes for one day. He has to be happy. I mean, look at all that he has. Look at all that he can do. And he, people on the outside looking, it gives the appearance of being a very meaningful life. But reality, most people who are well off will never have the simple enjoyments that he's talked about at the end of chapter 5 where he says, look at what God has done for people. Look at how they enjoy people. Look at the, what's beautiful, what's attractive. Look at the joy that they have in their life. Most people who are well off will never enjoy those pleasant things. And yet people who dismiss God when they look at life, in their minds there is this fantasy. If they could just have it, everything would be okay. That's the way they look at life. Uh, that's it drives them. It, it just, that's the way that life looks at them. They're, they're convinced that if they were to have that, life would be better. And that's just not the way it works. This man, when it says he has everything, and now it says that his soul is not filled with good, he's not enjoyed any of it, and also that he has no burial in verse uh, verse 3, he has no burial. It means that when this man who had everything, an extended family, he had many years, when he died, he wasn't given even common courtesy when it came to his death. There was never any love in that man's home. There was never any love toward him. Uh, 
The people that stayed there in his large extended family were there not because they cared for him, because they were staying for another reason, that they couldn't wait till he died because they wanted to see what they were going to get. That's exactly what he's saying here. There's no common burial. There's no common courtesy. There's, there's no, nothing. There's just nothing. This man had it in one sense, but he had absolutely nothing. And that's what Solomon is wanting to say. You have to see the progression here. In chapter 5 last week, come to the temple, be right with God. He is the key for your life. The end of chapter 5, don't ever think that money will ever be a substitute for God. Remember that? And now here, chapter 6, the same kind of conclusion, driving his point home. You could have everything, but if you can't enjoy it, what good is it? If there is no God, you could have everything, but not have anything. And he's driving that point home. And he's, and he's telling them that, that you have to understand that, um, that looking at life when there is no God, you can get twisted up. You can get all tangled up in thinking things that will never bring you satisfaction or meaning. Slow down. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. Enjoy how God can care for you. <clears throat> this having everything, it really does eat at people. It controls them, but it can leave them totally empty. Uh, two illustrations. One from work this week. Uh, there was a man, great man. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him. He's one of the department leaders, and he had a day off, and uh, he's a single uh, guy. And um, again, a great guy, but he going to take some time off and he was going to go to the casino. He likes to do that once in a while. <clears throat> but because of COVID, uh, they were opening early in the morning, like from two to, or, uh, anyway, where there's not a lot of people up and around, <clears throat> but the casinos are open. I'm thinking, wait, they close the schools, but they leave the casinos open. How does that happen? But anyway, he gets up, he's going at two o'clock in the morning, he stops at Turkey Hill to get his cup of coffee that he likes, he buys a ticket, and he wins $50 right off the bat. He says, hey, this is gonna be a great day. I can't, this is awesome, I get started in the right way. So he's, he's thinking, this is great. He goes to the casino, in the first half hour, he earns over $150. He's thinking, this is gonna be a great day. You know, here it comes. You know, and uh, so he's telling me about this because I was asking what he did with his time off. He says, it's great, go to Turkey Hill, you know, hit a lottery, get, get, get in some cash there, take it to the casino. It grows from 50 into 150. He's feeling great. Then he looks at me, he laughs, and he says, in a couple of hours, it was all gone. He said, I lost it all, and uh, he laughs, and he understood that. That's what happens in life with finances. It comes, it goes, and he, he was okay with that. But this, this excitement about, man, I'm getting this extra money. Here it comes. That's real for people. And that's an excitement that they want to have, more money, you know, and or get ahead in this area or that area or get this thing or get that. It's real. The second illustration is a man that uh, I met 20 years ago when, when I was here on staff at Mount Calvary. Uh, he had come to one of our Christmas Eve services and he was uh, 
a stranger who was just visiting and his, he had two daughters that were there with him. You could smell the alcohol on his breath. and You could see that his eyes, he had been spending some time weeping. And so I knew this man was having some difficulties. So I asked if uh, I would be able to visit him after the service, after the holidays, and I did. And this is what I found out. This man and his wife uh, were raised in uh, New York City and their whole life was devoted to working two jobs as much as they could to save as much as they could so that they would be able to retire living in New York City, the scale of things, the pay scale was high, and they were banking a lot away, and they had accumulated an incredible treasure, both of them. They just constantly worked two jobs. Their dream was to be able to move out here toward Hershey <clears throat> to be closer to their two girls. And the day finally came where they were able to do that. And they had moved into their brand new home <clears throat> just north of us, uh, just above us rather on Hillside. And they, uh, the homes were just being just uh, newly made at that particular point. And they moved in and it was their first night there. And the next morning from New York City, all the new furniture and everything that she had bought was coming and they were going to unload it and the girls were going to help them. And uh, so he, uh, the son had been coming up, woke him up, and he reached over to wake his wife up to get her ready because the moving van was coming, and she had passed away during the night. And all of their dreams, everything was now meaningless to him, totally meaningless, meaningless to him. And I listened as I uh, heard the story, and uh, it was very obvious that as time went along that the girls were there, not because they were concerned for dad, they were wondering now, okay, now what's going to happen with all this money that mom and dad amassed? Uh, how's that gonna work for us? And their focus entirely was now on the money, the way they had lived, shaped the way that their two girls were gonna look at life. Money for themselves and what to having. This man was devastated. Earlier, this man from the, the place that I work, he had the joy of getting this money. There was no joy for this man who had it all and now couldn't enjoy any of it. Solomon is making a point. If you were able to get everything, but not able to enjoy it, what good would it do? That's what he's been trying to focus. Now, when he makes the statement in verse two, God doesn't give him the power to enjoy it. Now, well, what do we do with that? Uh, what does that tell us about God? Uh, is God really good or is he tormenting people? What do we do with that? What's God doing with my life? Uh, why, God does, why doesn't God let me get ahead? Why does God let me struggle financially? Why? Those are some questions that people have. In this, in this statement, God doesn't give him the power to enjoy it. We have to do something with that. So what do we do with it? I think there are two things that we do 
uh, options of trying to figure this out. It's real. It's a real struggle that people have. Uh, <clears throat> who are the people that have had it all but lost it all? Well, we have two options. One is, number one, we can remember the theme that's being discussed. People who try to build their lives without God and they work so hard to get ahead and to have, in the end, they end up with nothing because living without God is always meaningless. That's the main message of the book. <clears throat> and we see that. And that's why he's presenting this man who has it all but loses all. But when he says that God doesn't let him enjoy it, it could be that he's referring to this theme. People who set God aside, even though they're able to get things, they end up losing it. There's nothing there in the end for them. That's a major theme of the book. And it's very, very uh, possible that that's what Solomon is thinking about people who build their lives, even when it appears that they're successful. In the end, they don't have anything because God doesn't let them have it. You can't build a meaningful life without him. God's not going to let you do that <clears throat> or have a meaningful life without him. It just doesn't work. So that's one option. The second is the people that we have seen in his observations. Would you turn back to chapter 3? Just let me remind you of this. Chapter 3, notice some of the people that he has seen and talked with us about in this book. Chapter 3, verse 16. <clears throat> and moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, this is the courts of law, that wickedness was there. And the place of rightness, that's the courts of law, that iniquity was there. And we talked about the courts of law, people who are being very influential or have these influential positions, positions of power and prominence, but they flip-flop things in court. Instead of the court being a place where justice is served, things are flipped around because people are serving themselves. We talked about that. Notice in chapter 4, verse 1, other powerful and influential people. I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as are oppressed, they have no comforter. And on the side of their, their oppressors, there was power, but they had no comforter. And you see people using their positions for of power for themselves in the wrong way. In chapter 5, verse 8, If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of just, judge, judgment and justice in a province, don't be surprised, for he that is higher than the highest regards, and there be higher than they. And what he's talking about is people in politics using their power in the wrong way, and there are people watching them who are doing the same thing people over them that are doing the same thing, and that in the realm of politics, people use their position for themselves. Now, that's a theme that he sees, and we know that to be true, don't we? 
And it could be, and that's what's being considered when people think, well, who are these people who would have everything that lose everything because God didn't want them to have it? It very well could be that the people who have had these positions of significance and power and have used them only for themselves and hurt others wrongfully in the process, it could be God has emptied their lives because of that. Because you remember in chapter 4, it does say, just because the judge says the case is closed, God says, not so quick. He will make sure that those cases are handled the right way. People will be dealt with appropriately. That's what we're told that God in heaven will do. So it could be that behind this, there is this repetition that of what we've seen before, God simply will not honor the illegalness, this dishonesty, this abuse of power that some people use to build up their lives. God's just not going to do it. He will bring all of those things down. So it could, but the, the message is very clear. I think the message is very clear. No matter how much you have, if you can't enjoy it, what good is it? What good is it? What? It just isn't. So don't spend your life trying to amass and reach out and live and think and use your life the way that many people do who set God aside. Stay close to God, settle down, calm down, slow down. Realize that what you have now are his blessings. Thank him for it. Thank him for how he's been caring for you. Enjoy those simple things of life. Let God fill your heart with joy too, like the people that Solomon has seen in the end of chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Let God take care of you at work. Let God take care of you and your family. Enjoy the blessings and know that whatever life has, God will be there for you and care for you. That's what he's saying. Now, there's one thing I want you to see. And ladies, I want you to get a pen because I'm going to ask you to mark something in your Bibles. There are two voices that we've talked about in the book of Ecclesiastes. The voice that sees this world without God, God's not there at all, how people think, feel, how they reason, their conclusions, what life is like, where meaning is found, that's one thing. But voice number two, there is a God. It makes all the difference in the world. God is with us. God cares for us. God can help make things right. He can. And just trust him, stay close to him. Two different ways of looking at life. I'm calling it the great divide. The two different ways on the screen that men look at life. The life that dismisses God, the life that honors him. In verses 2 and 3, there is an obvious illustration of how life is viewed with these two different voices, with God or without God. Notice, ladies, here's, I have it on the screen. I hope you can see it. In verse 2, you have the phrase, a man who has wealth, possessions, and honors so that he lacks nothing his heart desires. See that? Guys, just make a note of that too. A man has health, or wealth rather, possessions and honor. He, he lacks nothing his heart desires. He has it all. And then 
in verse 3. A, may, a man may have a hundred children and live many years. He has long life. He has all the possessions. He has all the life. And that phrase, you can kind of put it in there. He even lives a thousand years twice over. But we're presented with a man who has two of the greatest favors or blessings that God could ever give people in Old Testament thinking. He has material substance. He has a family and long life. You see that? Just those phrases. Just take those phrases and lift them up from the text for just a minute. A man has wealth, possessions, and honors so that he lacks nothing his heart desires. A man has a hundred children, many years. Okay, got that. Here's what I want you to see. We have this man who is presented, hypothetical, he has everything. He has the best that this world can, can offer. He has everything. We got that. He says in verse 3, notice these words, a stillborn child is better off than him. A baby that has never lived in this world has a life with God in heaven that is greater than any life that any person could ever live here. A child that has never lived here in heaven with God has such an abundant and full life, fuller than anyone who's had a large family or even lived a hundred years. Kyle and Dalich, two German authors, Kyle and Dalich, who are also very Jewish. They are long since gone, but they have written a series of commentaries on the Old Testament because of their Hebrew interest and their Jewish backgrounds. And without dealing with uh, the technicalities of the language, they and others like them say that there is a message here that God lifts right up out of this text that Jewish people would see, and us in our English culture and background, we're not going to see. And this is what they present. The man who has it all in substance, the man who has all of the life, the greatest life that could be lived on this earth, a baby that dies and goes to heaven, that life with God is better than anything that child could have here. Better than anything anybody could ever have here. You see the contrast. He's telling us that wealth in this world really has no value at all. The blessings of this world compared with what God gives to his people is nothing. And here's where we see this great divide. Because when you read verse 3, from the man who sees things under the sun, there is no God. When he sees a child die, this is what he sees. Verse 3, an untimely death. Verse 4, he comes in with vanity, he departs in darkness. His name shall be covered with darkness. This is called, talking about the baby, the stillborn. In Hebrew times, 
Uh, often when a family would lose a child, they may have a grave, but they would never put a stone there or a name there. It was their way of thinking that they would help the family not to grieve because they wouldn't remember. That's absurd. I know that. But that's what it's talking about here. A grave with not a name. No name, don't remember it, just kind of push it out of your mind. It's crazy. Uh, it says that moreover in verse 5, uh, that well, the last part of verse 4, uh, his life will be covered with darkness. He, he will not see the sun. He will not know anything. And in a life where there is no God, when men look at life, when they think of a child who has passed away, in their mind they conclude child, I have it on the screen, that has no identity, no name, never sees anything that's experienced in this world, doesn't understand anything about this world, that just doesn't exist. And that's their conclusions. The problem is there is a Bible that tells us just the opposite. And when men are right with God, when we look at the scriptures and we understand what God is telling us, about life, even the life of the child that dies. He has identity. He is a real person, not a baby in heaven, but a man or a woman. Do you remember what David said in 2 Samuel when he and Bathsheba had a child together and the child was sick at birth and the child died and the servants were whispering they didn't want to tell David that the child died because David was pleading, please help this child to live. And when David realized the servants were doing that, he realized that the child had passed away. And he made this statement, I know that the child is now gone. I won't fast. I don't need to pray anymore. But, he says, there's a time. I won't be able, he won't be able to come to me, but I will go to him. Remember that? I will go to him. David realized that that child who had passed away was a real person who had identity in heaven. And we know that to be true for uh, not only some of the statements that Jesus makes about children, some of his examples. Jesus came into this world to reveal to us the truth about God. And so when we see Jesus blessing infants, when we see Jesus caring for children, we see that in the Gospels very clearly. Uh, when, when we hear him talking in Matthew 18 about children having guardian angels, uh, when, when we hear God making statements in the Old Testament about children who do not yet know the difference between right or wrong or the left hand or the right hand, God understands children. He understands everything about them. And he wants us to see in the scriptures, and this passage is very helpful, that the person, the child who leaves this world, entering heaven and living only there, that child's life is better than the richest, the most famous, the most uh, luxurious life uh, with the most benefit. 
that child has with God as now as a person, as an adult, a life that's far better than anything that could ever be lived in this world and has an experience that's far greater than anything that anybody could have in this world. Families were wonderful blessings and they are to us. We love our families. They give us a lot of satisfaction. But the child who has passed away and gone to heaven has more satisfaction than anything that would satisfy us here. And that's why we have this, this, this Hebrew language making it very clear. Let me go back to that. That great divide, what we're supposed to see and the Hebrews would see it, that man who had wealth, possessions, and honor, he has it all. He has a long life, he has a, long fa a great family, he has satisfaction in all of these things. A child, a baby who dies and goes to heaven will have more as a complete person there than people in this world could ever have under any set of circumstances. A person's real, has a name, has a life, has understanding, and is thrilled to be a part of God's family. Now that's, that's pretty significant. Let me come back to the main point here. There's a lot that we could share about this, but let me come back to the main point. Life under the sun, people dismiss God. They have a certain way of looking at life and they think about finances the way we think about our Savior. We know Jesus is everything. They think money is everything. We know that our relationship with God is everything. It'll take care of everything. People think that money will take. It just doesn't work like that. And so these two voices that have been competing as we come to chapter five and six, Solomon drives home the point, meaning in life is found with God, period. And he'll build that the rest of the book for the conclusion. But right now, meaning in life will only be found with God. And I put on the screen this verse, I want to close with this, and then we'll have our discussion <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. We are told to keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, so that we, may can, say, we can say with confidence, the Lord will be my helper, I won't be afraid. That's the New International Version. And this is what Solomon is now trying to drive home. Don't get obsessed with having more or thinking you need more or that your life will be better if you have more. Be content with what you have. Realize what you have, the gifts that God has given to you. We've run this over and over again. See it. See God and His goodness. Be reminded that God will always be there, your greatest resource. He'll never leave you. He will always take care of you. And your meaning in life will be found with Him. There's much more in chapter 6. I don't want to go any farther. We'll pick up with the second half of the book later. But I think Solomon has finally made his point, and even we can get it. These two voices are so difficult to hear as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes because we can't always keep them separate from one another. But I think you see how he's concluded this section.
I hope we can have a good discussion, and I hope that you are enjoying the life that God has given to you.